Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where we take the Word of God and preach a timely message from the pulpit of Victory Baptist Church of Fallon, Nevada. So, um, I believe that we have that opportunity now um, through this age of technology. And so, uh, I want to challenge you this morning as we open our Bible to Matthew chapter 9 about how I can become engaged in missions. I think all of us here, if we're honest, would say we understand the role that missions plays, the importance in the Bible, uh, but maybe we lack uh, understanding of how we can personally be engaged in missions. And so I want to challenge you this morning, as we go through this, the Holy Spirit speaks to you about one or multiple ways for you to personally be engaged in missions, that you would uh, take that to heart and follow through with that. In Matthew chapter 9, we'll read just a few portions of Scripture, a few verses. Um, We'll start in verse 36 through 38. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, But when he saw the multitudes, that's Christ, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to meet with you this morning, Lord. We thank you for this church that's a light in this community. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us today. Lord, might you challenge us as we look at missions and how we can be personally involved in missions. Lord, might you challenge each one of us to, uh, to be just that and involved in missions, Lord. I thank you for um, your love for us, Lord, and for this church. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So as we look at Matthew chapter 9, if we look at all the verses, we don't have time to to read the whole chapter, but you'll see he's been very busy. Christ has been busy in this region, and and Matthew gives the account of the gospel here, and he says that Jesus has been performing miracles. He's been healing people. He's been teaching them. Um, He's been um, um, interacting with them. And so we've seen him heal people. We've seen him perform miracles. He's been teaching them, and, and we see something happens here at the end of this chapter Uh, and I I don't know what happened but the Bible says clearly something happened here because the Bible says in verse 36 that he saw the multitudes and so Jesus goes from um, having interacted with these people uh, to stepping back and seeing them as a multitude Um, and so he sees them he's moved with compassion on them and then the Bible says exactly why he's moved with compassion on them he says because there is a sheep with no shepherd I want you to think about that, a sheep with no shepherd. That would be like you and I being Christians but not having a place to meet, not having a pastor. We understand through Scripture that the idea that's portrayed that Christ doesn't want anyone to perish. He's not willing that any, that they all should come to the knowledge of him as their Savior, the Bible says. And so we understand that God, Christ desires for everyone to be saved. Uh, and so we know that is true. Uh, but we also see in this portion of Scripture a burden of his that not only should they be saved, but there should be a local church there for them to meet with, for them to have a pastor. I want you to stop and think about that this morning. Whether you've been saved for a year, maybe you've been saved five years or 20 years, think about that first church you went to, that first church that you belonged to, that friend that maybe led you to Christ and took you to that church, and the friendships you had and the discipleship that took place and the preaching you received. Um, and now think about where you'd be as a Christian without that. And we understand that the local church is, is crucial for the, evangelic, uh, the evangelization of, of uh, the gospel through the world. But it's also crucial for us as Christians to develop 
and for us to be growing as believers. And so that's why it's important for us to attend. That's why the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Um, because Christ knew that the local church was crucial and key um, for the world to be evangelized and for Christians to grow. And so the vision of CORE is really to encapsulate this portion of Scripture the best we can and know how the burden of Christ here and not just see people saved, but see local churches established. Uh, obviously, that was something that was on his heart. Um, and so by providing support resources and accountability to national pastors, we believe we can help see local churches established. But that also has some implications for you and I, uh, because one of our foundational, foundational beliefs at CORE is that a national pastor is best suited to reach his own people. He knows the language. He knows the culture. Uh, he can do it for less than someone coming to live there could. But what that means for you and I is that we also have our own people that we can reach, that God has placed in our life. Um, that, that know us and, and that we interact with on a daily basis. And so there's people that Christ has put in our life for us to reach. Now, I know you, you probably know people that don't know Christ as your Savior, and you may think, well, I could, I could invite them to church or I could share the gospel with them, but my pastor could do that even better. So I'll just call him and have him come, come share the gospel with them. But that's not necessarily the case. I'm sure your pastor would be happy to, um, but, but Christ has put you in their life for a reason. And you're best suited to reach them with the gospel. And so I want to challenge you this morning to, as, as we unpack this text, see how you can be more engaged in missions. And so we first do that by seeing Christ as our example. We look at Christ as our example throughout all of Scripture. And so here we see him again as our example. We see in verse 36 that he's been around these people. He knows them, but yet he sees, takes time to see them as a multitude. Um, the Bible says here he saw the multitude. We're called to reach the world, but we can't reach the world if we don't see the world. Uh, it's important for us to be able to see the multitudes. How often do we do nothing because we don't take time to see the need? Oftentimes we can get so busy in our life that we can be so focused on what we have to do or what we have to accomplish that we fail to see the people that we're supposed to interact with. I'm a very uh, list-oriented person. I'm very task-driven. I like to be busy. And so it's easy for me to get up and, and work throughout the day accomplishing all these tasks and, and doing everything that we have to do through the ministry and, and making sure things are taken care of that I can interact with lots of people and not even realize that I interacted with them. Uh, not even realize that there's someone that Christ might have put in my life and in my path for me to share the gospel with or for me to encourage as another Christian. And so we, we have to take time to see the multitudes. If we're going to be effective in missions, we have to take time to slow down and see people for who they are as, as someone with a soul, someone who's going to spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. And we have an opportunity to make a difference in their life and to point them towards Christ or encourage them uh, maybe if they're already believers. And so it's easy for us to get busy and sidetracked by the things of this world. As your pastor just mentioned, we're not here to live the American dream, but it's easy for us to get so tied up in our daily life that we fail to notice the people in our life. So I want you to think about this for a second. What does the multitude look like for you? All of us have our own multitude, but what does it look like for you? Think about the past week, the people that you interacted with. Think of five people that you interacted with. Maybe it was at the grocery store, or at work, or at school. Think about their faces. Think about their names. Those are people that God has placed in your life for you to interact with, for you to, to witness to, for you to encourage um, and so you may say, well, everyone I know are Christians. Well, what about at the grocery store? Uh, what about the, the people that maybe you interact with that you don't realize you interact with? Um, and even if a lot of people in our life are Christians, maybe they could be encouraged. 
Uh, maybe they, they need some sharpening. Maybe they're discouraged or going through a hard time where we could be an encouragement to them. So what does the multitude look like for you? Christ saw the multitude, and then something happened to him. The Bible says in verse 36, he saw the multitude, and then he was moved with compassion. It was after Jesus saw the multitude that he was moved with compassion. It's hard to have compassion on someone you don't see. Uh, if you never see anyone and you don't realize they're there, it's hard to have compassion on them. Um, and so compassion we really need to define, though, because a lot of people have different ideas about what compassion is. Some will say compassion is love. Some will say compassion is kindness or, or brotherly love, being kind to someone. But compassion, the Bible really defines as suffering with another person. Compassion um, is the desire to alleviate someone's suffering that it comes from the heart, that it comes from the deepest part of us. And so compassion causes us to want to do anything and everything we can to alleviate someone else's suffering. So if we see someone in pain or we see someone without Christ, if we have compassion on them, we're going to do anything and everything we can to alleviate their suffering. And so what that looks like for someone who may not know Christ is we're going to invite them to church. We're going to share the gospel with them. Maybe we're going to take them to lunch or, or go get coffee with them. We're going to love on them. We're going to try and, and become friends with them so that we can ultimately point them to Christ. We, we want to be able to impact their life. And so we're going to do anything and everything we can to point them to Christ and to have a relationship with them. Uh, we're not just going to invite them to church once and leave it at that. We're not just going to give them a track once and, and never talk to them again. If we're moved with compassion towards them, we're going to do anything and everything we can to bring them to know Christ as their Savior. And so the same thing's true for, for someone suffering. If you see someone maybe having a hard time walking into the, the church here and you're moved with compassion towards them, you're going to do everything you can to help alleviate them. You're going to maybe take them a wheelchair. Or you're going to come walk beside them and make sure they don't trip. You're going to make sure they get to an open seat. You're going you're gonna to do whatever you can to alleviate of their suffering. And so that's what comp compassion causes us to do. And so Christ saw these multitudes of people that he'd been interacting with that knew him, that knew who he was, but yet was still moved with compassion on them. So I want to ask you this morning, you've, you've now th thought about the multitudes in your own life. When was the last time you were moved with compassion towards them? When was the last time you allowed yourself to be moved with compassion for them and you wanted to do whatever you could to help them? Uh, whether spiritually, whether they're already Christians, whether they're not Christians and don't know Christ and, and you want to do anything and everything you can to bring them to know Christ. You see, once you see the multitude, Christ will start allowing us to be moved with compassion towards them. And that's when we're really able to start being effective in missions. If we never take time to see the multitude and we, we're, we're never moved with compassion, we really won't have much influence on the people around us. And if we don't have p influence on the people around us, we really won't be able to make an impact in world missions either. And so missions always starts here locally in the church uh, with reaching the people that God has placed in our own life. And so I want to challenge you to take time to see the multitude and allow yourself to be moved with compassion. But we, we, do, we don't stop there. We continue on through this portion of Scripture. Not only do we see Christ as our example in allowing us to take time to see the multitude and be moved with compassion, but then he doesn't stop there. He gives his disciples some instruction. Uh, and I'm grateful that Christ gives us instruction uh, for our life. And the Bible says in verse 37 um, and 38, he gives the, the instructions for his disciples. It says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth more laborers into his harvest. You see here that 
Christ looks at his disciples after realizing there's a problem, and he tells them the solution to this problem is for all of you to go out and plant as many churches as you can. That's exactly what it says, right? No, it says pray. He says the solution is prayer. He says all these people are going to be scattered abroad, and they're not going to have a sheep uh, they're going to be sheep without a shepherd. They're not going to have a pastor. They're not going to have a local church. Uh, and there's all these other people that need to know Christ. And so th- the solution isn't our actions, isn't us striving to do different things. It's not the solution isn't in our abilities. The solution is in prayer. So he turns to disciples and tells them to pray. He says, pray ye the Lord of the harvest. And so uh, we must pray for the harvest. We need to be sending forth laborers. The next thing we see Jesus doing in this text is telling his disciples to pray. Pray for laborers. Pray for the harvest. Uh, we spend a lot of time, hopefully, praying as Christians, but oftentimes our prayers are very selfish. Now, you might think about that and say, well, how is it selfish? I pray for other people. Well, you pray for those other people because you love them, right? Uh, you want them to be healed if they're struggling physically. You want them, um, if they're struggling through different things, to to get past that struggle. And so oftentimes our prayers are focused upon us, what we need and what other people need. And that's not wrong. That's scriptural. Uh, we're supposed to be praying for others. We should be praying as a church for each other. Uh, that's scriptural. We should be taking our knees before the Lord, whether they're small or whether they're big. The Bible tells us that we should be uh, praying without ceasing, that we should be taking these things to Christ in prayer. But he does tell us there's a few things we should be praying about. And here is a direct instruction for us to pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth more laborers into his harvest. So here's a question for you. If God answered all your prayers that you prayed yesterday, how many people would it affect? Would your family know that God answered every prayer? Would your church family know that all your prayers have been answered? If you had one day that God answered all your prayers, how many people would it affect? Would the people in Israel right now know that God answered all your prayers? Would struggling uh, missionaries throughout the world know that God answered all your prayers? Uh, We might say, well... I, I just don't know that I can do this. This is such a big task to pray for laborers. I mean, what if God calls me to be a laborer? He's not telling you to pray about being a laborer. He's telling you to just pray for laborers. Sometimes we get worried about what might happen if we do something that we forget about what we're actually supposed to be doing. And so he's just telling us that we should be praying for laborers. Now let me challenge you further in this. Uh, we can't just pray for laborers and, and stop right there. Um, if you want to see someone saved, you can't just pray for someone to be saved and never witness to them. We see throughout Scripture that when we're, we're, when we're supposed to bring something before the Lord, when we're supposed to pray, we're also to, to put some action to it. And so if you want to see someone, pr- lo- maybe you have a lost family member, you want to see them saved, you have to not just pray for their salvation, you have to witness to them. Uh, you have to love on them. You have to try and bring them to know Christ as their Savior. And so it says here, pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth more laborers into the harvest. If, if we're going to pray for the laborers, if we're going to pray for the harvest, we're also going to start putting some actions to those prayers. And so I want to challenge you to be engaged in missions this morning. You may say, well, how do I do that? Here's some practical ways for you to be engaged in missions. First, pray. The direction here is quite simple and obvious. We're to be praying for missionaries. We're supposed to be praying for the harvest. Uh, we should be people of prayer. And so we can all pray. You may say, well, I can't go. God hasn't called me to go. That's great. He's called you to pray. We all should be praying for laborers. Um, if God 
uh, has brought people into your life that are laborers, we should be praying for them. If you know of a missionary in Mexico or, or wherever they're at, you support 15 missionaries, you should be praying for those missionaries, praying for their protection, praying for their provision, praying for their success in ministry, praying for those that they're leading to Christ, praying for those that are being discipled. Uh, we should be praying for our laborers as Christians. But then also, if we're going to pray for them, we need to give to them as well. Uh, we can't just stop with praying. Um, we, we can't just pray that there would be more laborers. Uh, we have to put some feet to those prayers and give to them as well. Um, and I know what you're thinking already. Here's a missionary asking for money. But the truth is that it takes money for missions to happen. Uh, even with a great return on investment through core missions, um, people are saved with just a few dollars spent or given towards them. Um, it still takes money for that to happen. It takes money for missionaries to go live in another country, for churches to be planted, for people to be saved. It takes money. And so not only do we have to pray, but we have to give. So I want to challenge you this morning. Are you praying about your missionaries? Are you praying for your missionaries? Are you praying for laborers? But then also, are you giving for laborers? Are you giving to the laborers? If God has called someone uh, to the mission field uh, and you have the ability to help them get there, through prayer, you should do it. You should pray for them. If God has called someone to the mission field and you're able to give to them to help them get to the mission field, we should be giving towards them. We should be giving to that cause, to that need. So we can be involved financially. You have uh, an opportunity to fill out a faith promise card here and to be personally involved in missions. It doesn't take much, but it does take something. And so as a collective, you say, well, uh, I may not be able to give much, but as a collective, if everyone gives something, it turns into a lot. And God is able to bless that. Um, throughout Scripture, you see people who didn't have much give, and God blessed mightily. You see uh, the story of the loaves and fishes, where this little boy only had two loaves and, and two fishes, and, and Christ was able to multiply that to feed 5,000. And so you might say, well, I don't have much to give, but if you'll just give something, Christ will multiply that and, and use it in a great way. And so we must be faithful to pray. We must be faithful to give. But then also there's another way you can be involved in missions and you can be engaged, and that is through being personally involved. You say, how do I become personally involved in missions? Beyond giving, beyond praying. Well, that age of technology I said we're in, it gives you the ability to, to communicate. So you have missionaries that your church supports. Why don't you reach out to them? Why don't you let them know you're praying for them? Maybe you can ask them how to, how to pray for them. You can start building a relationship with them. I have some close friends now that are pastors in India and the Philippines, and they, they became friends not because I've been there a million times. I've been there once, uh, and I've met them once, but we've talked for years. We've communicated weekly, and, and we've shared what ministry is going on in India and, and what, what we're doing at CORE, and so uh, we have this bond and this connection, and we communicate, and so they're friends now. It's, it's possible for us now uh, to not think of missionaries as people that just go live in a faraway country and we can't do anything but pray for them here or give to them financially, we can be engaged with them. And so you can build a relationship with a missionary and encourage them. And so I want to challenge you to do that this morning, to get personally involved in missions, not just through giving, not just through praying, but maybe there's one that's been through in the past that you thought, man, I've really connected with them or I really enjoy their ministry and I really like what they're doing. Great, communicate with them. Text them, find their number, find their email, email them, ask them for their number. Ask them for a way to communicate with them and start building a relationship with them. You will have no idea how much encouragement you can be to them until you try. I guarantee you if you reach out to a missionary this week, 
and, and, and ask them how you can pray for them and ask them how you can communicate with them and how you can help them and, and what they need. And uh, they're not going to reach out to your pastor upset that you reached out to them. None of them are going to call your pastor this week and say, hey, so-and-so from your church reached out to me. What did I know how to pray for me? Why are they reaching out to me? No one's going to act like that. They're going to be encouraged. They're going to be strengthened. The ministry there will move forward because of the, the partnerships that are built through this church. And so we all have a role to play in world missions. We all can't go, but we all can pray. We all can give, and we all can get connected uh, through this technology that we have. And then the last thing I want to point out this morning before I'm out of time is the promise. He didn't just tell us to pray and not give us any promise there. There's a promise here. The Bible says in verse 37, the harvest truly is plenteous. Before he says the labors are few, he tells his disciples there's a, there's, there's a promise here, and that's a plentiful harvest. Now, I'm not much of a farmer. My grandpa was a farmer in Kansas, and I know a few things, though. But there's a time to plant, and if you miss that planting time, you're, you're going to not be able to even have a crop that year. So you have to be prepared and ready to plant when it's time to plant. And at the same time, there's a time to harvest, and you can't just be gone during that harvest time on vacation and come back and hope to have the same kind of harvest. You've got to be there. You've got to be engaged. You've got to be actively harvesting during that time. And so the Bible says that there's a plentiful harvest. Uh, we know that uh, our time, our energy, our money, our efforts aren't wasted when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to missions. Uh, and he promises us a harvest if we'll pray. He says here, there's a truly plentiful harvest, but the labors are few, so pray. Uh, he doesn't tell us to do anything else but pray. But as we pray, we'll become more engaged and we'll want to give and we'll want to be more involved in missionaries' lives and we'll want to be more involved in getting the gospel around the world. And so here he tells us not only is there a harvest, but there's a plentiful harvest. I, I know there's, there's bad harvest. There's, there's harvest where you don't maybe get much. And then there's good harvest. And then there's maybe, I think the term is bumper crop, where you have just this great harvest. And so Christ here is telling us that there's a truly plentiful harvest waiting for those who pray for laborers, who engage themselves in missions, who become part of the Great Commission and take it to heart and who start praying for their missionaries and who start giving towards their missionaries and who start becoming personally involved in missions. There's a great harvest. We, we don't have to worry about building ourselves this wealth here for us if if we're really focused on the kingdom, if we're really focused on the next life, if we're really not concerned about living the American dream, there's some specific instructions in how we can really invest in our eternity come, come heaven. Uh, and we can be a part in bringing many to know Christ as their Savior. So I want to challenge you to be uh, engaged in missions. And, and it starts here locally by being um, mindful of the multitudes that are around us. And allowing ourselves to be moved with compassion. And when that happens, it's going to be easier for us to be not only effective here in our own community, in our own town, but also effective in reaching the uttermost uh, and, and supporting missions and, and having a, a church that's, that's seeing a lot of fruit. And, and you yourself seeing a lot of fruit from your engagement in missions. I've never met anyone who said, I wish I wouldn't have given that much to missions. I've never met anyone who said, I really wish I would have never spent that time praying for missionaries. I've never met anyone who said, I wish I never went on that mission strip. It might have been hard, but I wish I would have never gone. I've never met anyone that said those things. And so here we have Christ promising us a plentiful harvest on the other side if we'll just engage ourselves in mission. So I want to challenge you with that this morning. Let's pray, and I'll turn it over to Pastor. Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
your time together, Lord. I pray that you would challenge each one of us to see how we can be praying, giving, and more involved in missions on a personal level as we move forward this morning, Lord. I thank you for your love for us and for sending your son to to die on the cross so we can have a home in heaven one day and share the gospel with other people. Lord, we thank you for the freedoms that we have to do so. We pray these things in your name. Amen.